This is Coda Radio, episode 144 for March 9th, 2015. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, who is established on the East Coast. Yes, why, in fact, it is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning, Mr. Fisher, or good afternoon, rather. Yeah, you know, I'm a little confused. I hate daylight savings. I hate to be negative off right off the top of the show, but I freaking hate daylight savings. And, of course, today everybody's talking about watches, to really rub it in, to, like, remind me that we've just had a big-time upset. You know, this has been... I, my podcast feed has been terrible for the last week, and it's going to be terrible for this week. But we can promise one thing, can't we, Chris? What's that? That this show will be at least 50% to 70% not about any form of watch. Can we can we make that promise? 50 to 70? No. No. No, but I could I could give you a solid uh yeah, I'm 50. I could give you a solid 50 probably. You're uh, going to talk half about the watch. It's just so not interesting. The only interesting thing is how overpriced it is. Bam. Apple's watch specifically? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to say specifically about that Apple watch cuz it hasn't shipped yet, oh, no, but So so I'm okay with wearables in general, just the iWatch I, uh, rather the Apple watch. I, uh, you hear that? I spent the weekend. I spent the weekend with a Pebble Steel. That's my Pebble Steel right there. I don't know if it, it's theater of the mind. Uh, and uh, I, I, I have completely changed my mind on watches, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about it. So I do have a few ideas, and I, I know one of the burning questions you've had is who the hell is the customer, and what are they going to do with these app, uh, watches? It's like you have a document with my notes in it that you're reading from. And uh, I have that answer for you. I know exactly who the customer is for apps on watches. Good and will they? More importantly, will they pay me? Yeah, I'm How about after definitely, the feedback? definitely, Bam. yep, definitely. We'll do that after the feedback because, uh, and then we could talk about because yeah, as just literally as we're going on the air, the Apple event wrapped up like a few minutes ago, where they just a- announced the Apple Watch with all the details, and we looked at the pricing a little bit before we went on air, and uh, Mike and I immediately got depressed about the prospects of us ever buying one. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it's the pricing of the watch that bothers us or the fact that our bank account balances mm, yeah. just aren't there yet. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, but first, uh, we did have a little feedback I wanted to get into. It was submitted to the Coda Radio subreddit, and it's a topic that we've sort of uh, touched on. Uh, gosh, it's been a while now, but we used to touch on it more back in the day. This whole DevOps thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it started because we made a comment actually on TechSnap that spilled over into Coda Radio where, where Alan and I kind of went, <laughs> DevOps isn't a real thing. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a real job. And then, boy, did we hear about it. And we heard about it, and we heard about it for weeks on TechSnap, and it eventually spilled into the Coda Radio program where we continued to hear about how Dev, DevOps, DevOps is, is a real job. It's, legi- it's legitimate. Not that it isn't, but... This post uh, got me thinking. Uh, the title is DevOps is Bullshit, Why One Programmer Doesn't Do It Anymore. I've always been handy with hardware. I was one of those kids you hear about that keeps talking, taking things apart. But I never stopped tinkering with hardware and its systems. I used Linux and BSD on my desktop for years, built my own lamp stack from source, and simulated the server environment when, uh, when, uh, when I couldn't or when I used uh, Windows for work and I needed it. Anyways, it goes on to say, 
I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it's just always being interested in the finer details of how a system works. He kind of naturally found himself in the DevOps role, probably like a lot of developers, where you've always kind of followed the operating system and it helps you, you know, probably develop a better application if you have a better understanding of the operating system it runs on. Uh, but he kind of says that, you know, he got into it when he kind of didn't really realize what he was doing. And eventually he got sick attending systems. And he said, when you're doing it properly, it can be a daunting task dealing with storage, access controls, backups, networking, high availability, maintenance, security, and all the domain spe- specific aspects of easily can become easily overcoming. But worse, I was doing too much frontline support, which honestly at the time was more important than programming. Right there. Full stop. This is why I've always thought – what I've always had my, – my, the problem I have with DevOps is to me it, it represents a culture of overworking where we expect unicorns out of everybody. Everybody should be able to do 100 different tasks. And what he just said there – what he really said was, is if you're doing it right, when you're doing system administration right, it's a daunting task. It can be an all-consuming task. And so when developers who kind of go, oh, yeah, I'm also a system administrator, and they kind of just shrug it off, yeah, I do DevOps. Well, no, you don't. You're doing a bad job of doing system administration, and you're probably not doing a very good job of developing either. You, both jobs require dedicated focus. Now, I know it's not always, always, always uh, ideal. A lot of people, especially working independently, you know, just to save costs, have to run their own infrastructure. But when you go to large companies where they do have the money and they do have the budget for staffing, but yet they still expect developers to do this, it really pisses me off. And in the case of this guy, it eventually burned him out. And now he, puts, he has a hard rule. He won't work anywhere where that's the situation. I just it just it's something that irks me still. We got such a strong reaction, and I still I feel what I feel like it is is people being taken advantage of. I don't judge anybody who has to do this because maybe they're trying to keep things on a tight budget, or you know they're just comfortable. It's a very small operation; it doesn't take a ton of time. But I really get mad at companies that expect this out of people, and it goes the other way too. Now there's more expectations that system administrators will have some sort of development skill set. I don't know why; it just gets me upset. That's all. So I wanted well, to cover that since it was submitted into the subreddit uh, because it's an old item that, that just still stuck in my craw from ages ago in the show, I guess. <laughs> I guess I just had to get that out there. Yeah. Uh, and it's a good read. Uh, he talks about his DevOps experience. He said, the f- I had one final DevOps experience before I had to put my foot down and made the personal declaration that DevOps is bullshit and I wasn't going to do it anymore. Uh, so that's, that's about halfway through the article, and it really starts to get good at, at that point if uh, you want to read it. And he has an AWS war story in there too. I might throw this into TechSnap too and really get people riled up. Any thoughts on the DevOps thing, Mr. Dominic? No. You know, the DevOps thing, I've kind of ignored it, right? You, you end up maintaining servers or whatever because you have to, not because you're like, oh, I'm going to be a DevOps guy. Yay. Yeah. Um, I, I've never thought, I mean, obviously I've read the same articles as everybody else about it, but I've never like woken up on a Tuesday and been like, damn, got to get more DevOps today, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what it is, is two things. Either you get, so there's two types. You get stuck in that because that's what works best for the work environment, uh, especially for small companies and things like that. Totally understandable. And then you have the other side where it's just companies trying to take advantage of people. Like is running your GitLab instance on DigitalOcean? No. Plug, plug, plug. DevOps? No, like, like, I, I don't think so. Right. Because that's more like setting up tools. That's more like setting up tools that support your work. That's not managing okay. infrastructure the customers run on so much. So, so th- this has always been the question, right, for me. Where do you draw the line? Is it, for instance, let's keep plugging. Uh, you run a DO. Oh, hold on. You're- you hold on. Your Skype is uh, is uh, phasing. We'll let the subspace uh, system stabilize, and you can tell me again. So, okay. So I'm a DevOps. I've got GitLab up on a DO droplet. Right. Well, all. 
Oh, hold on. Simply the absence of like IT admins. Yeah, okay. For operations people. Right. Right. That can happen. Sometimes it's just a tight crew. Yeah. Oh. I think our Skype is being difficult. I think our Skype's hating us. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's bouncing. Are you dropboxing right now? Are you drop Mr. Dominic, are you dropboxing? I'm not, but let me see if there's anything else that's open that can go away. Hmm. Let me check to see what's wrong on our Pebble. I could check here and see if the Pebble can troubleshoot the Skype connection. No. No, Pebble doesn't. No. It's actually, it's swearing. I have nothing else. That's really strange. The Pebble just has swear words. Do you think that's normal? You think they built that into that? I think that's a feature uh, because you talked about the Apple Watch before the show. Oh, and now, okay, yeah. Boy, that's no good. Well, while you uh, sort out your Skype, I'll do a Linux Academy plug. Do it. And uh, then we'll uh, we'll start getting into some stuff here. So uh, first of all, let's everybody take a moment and go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Why would you do that? Because you like saving money and you're going to get you're going to get the Coder Radio discount on an amazing service. Now, why is the service amazing? Oh, that's a good question. I like that you're following along. Let me put down my Pebble watch. You hear that? And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Linux Academy. First of all, go there because they're great supporters of our network. And if you like the content that we deliver, then a great way to support the content is by visiting those sponsors. That's a pretty good reason on its own. But realistically, the reason why you want to go to Linux Academy is it is training material that is designed and created by people that truly are passionate about the subject matter. Unlike the generic training sites, these people really get this stuff. They live in this community, live this world. Linux users, system administrators, developers, educators, they came together, they created the Linux Academy platform by scratch because they needed something that only they could build to deliver what they want. Seven plus Linux distributions you get to choose from. The courseware automatically updates to those distros, so it's specific to the distro you choose, and that includes the live labs that are in part of your subscription that spin up. They'll match the distribution you've chosen. You can download the study guides. That's really good stuff. I mean, right there, there's a ton of value. And of course, they have videos and audio that go along. And when you log in, you're going to get a dashboard. You get to see right where you're at in progress meters and see how long the next course is going to take you, how much time you should estimate. They have scenario-based labs at Linux Academy. So you have, of course, lab servers where you'll receive access to scenario-based labs. You can go in there and do common tasks to an everyday environment. You'll work with the technology in their advanced lab environments. When you complete those scenarios, you'll get credit from beginning to end, and you'll get awesome. It's like they integrate it in such a way that when you walk away, you have this awesome sensation of truly understanding how the technology works, like a very satisfying, like, Oh, geez, I get it. And that that kind of that really means like I can walk into something feeling a bit of confidence that I've done it before. That's why I think the scenario based training is extremely unique. And then, of course, they've got courseware on Python, Heyo, Ruby, uh, Docker, Vagrant, uh, OpenStack. And of course, my favorite topic, that DevOps category. If you do live in that gray world of DevOps, my friend, Linux Academy can hook you up with the knowledge you need to do a great job. And that's something I think you could feel pretty good about. If you know you're in a spot where maybe you're not an absolute expert and you just need a few areas filled in, like you need to really complete maybe a MySQL backup or make sure you get Nginx configured properly or get that rsync script working the way you need it to or figure out why that Android development environment won't install correctly on that Linux desktop. Linux Academy has courseware on all of that. So start by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That'll get you the discount, get you a great price and get you into Linux Academy. And they've got some great announcements coming up, so it's really a good time to sign up. And once you do sign up, you'll get access to the message boards where they've been teasing those announcements so you can see what I'm talking about. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, and a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. You guys are rocking, and they're always adding new stuff too. So it's if you uh, haven't logged in for a couple of days, go check it out. New stuff in there. Okay, Mr. Dominic, how you doing? Can you hear me okay? Did, is, did our connection bounce back all right? We're back. Good, good. So we have a lot of things to tear into. Um, you know, one thing just while it's on my mind before we go too far, 
I've been meaning. I, I did plug Women's Tech Radio uh, recently on the show because they've they've been interviewing uh, some some well mostly developers actually. So it's actually pretty interesting for our audience. One of the things they have going on right now, and I just wanted to give a little plug to the Coda Radio audience. Um, if you uh, if you listen to Women's Tech Radio episode sixteen, they're giving away two Ting GSM cards for free. And uh, I just hooked up my Nexus Five on the Ting GSM network, and uh, I just wanted to give you guys uh, just a little tip to the Coda Radio audience. Since I've talked about Women's Tech Radio on here before, go listen to episode sixteen, and uh, in the first few minutes, they'll give you the details on how you get uh, the free GSM. And uh, I think they've only got a handful of submissions this week, so you have a really good chance of winning that free GSM SIM card. From Ting, uh, just go listen to episode 16 of Women's Tech Radio. That's the neurofeedback episode. A uh, gal from Intel joined the show, and uh, she's a developer at Intel working on controlling robots with your mind. And they talk about that in episode 16 of Women's Tech Radio. Mr. Dominic, we have so much to get into, and I really – I thought maybe uh, I would take all that feedback and just throw it in the toilet for today and just burn it with fire uh, so that way we could cover a couple of topics that you've been burning to talk about, like your second look at the Atom editor, which I've recently taken a look at myself too. Yes, yes. So there was uh, some demand on the subreddit for me to take a look at it because I had – oh, Chris, it must be seven months ago taking a look at it, and I wasn't really thrilled with it. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, this is the GitHub version of Sublime what's Text, a text basically. editor, right? It's, yeah. it's a lot like Sublime yeah, Text. Yeah. It's their version um, of Sublime Text. It's written, though, in Node.js using a oh, it's gonna, uh, Node app. I'm forgetting the name of the framework now, but basically it's a framework that allows you to do desktop development in web tool chains such as, well, Node, right? Node and JavaScript. Um, I will say that it is far better now than it was before. Yeah. Uh, the before- Many of the little weird niggling issues I had before have more or less been smoothed out. Yeah, a lot of rough edges kind of polished, I thought, too. Yeah. It's still – and it's hard, right? I don't know if I feel this way because I know it's a web tool. But when I open it, I still feel like it's obvious that it's just rendering a web view. No, Yeah. Like it doesn't feel super native. Like if you pop open, uh, you know, chocolate or sublime text next to it, there's definitely a different feeling you get. Yeah, yeah, and my main my main struggle with it too is, um, and this is just uh, unique to Linux users, of course, but uh, because it's not using like a native desktop toolkit, it doesn't really support high DPI, so it is very hard to use on a high DPI desktop. Essentially, it doesn't scale. So I have my laptop, my XPS thirteen, and everything is perfectly scaled up. That's GTK, and then I launch Atom, and it's I can't even read the menus; it's so tiny. So that's a bit of a bummer, and I think the I think their 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 way of building and distributing it sort of limits their flexibility there. Yeah, it's funny because uh, you know if I didn't already pay for Sublime and Chocolate, I I may be much more interested in using this tool. Hmm. But it's one of those things where you know Sublime I think is like fifty bucks, and I think Chocolate's the same, which is not terribly expensive for a developer tool. Yes, I think that's exactly where I'm at too. Is if I if I had never discovered Sublime. Uh, I think this would be a pretty great editor, and I'd be pretty happy that GitHub's making such a great tool available for free. Yeah, I mean, if you're totally like wired into the GitHub ecosystem, there is a lot of cool features, um, like authoring with your GitHub account and just you know pulling down your your stuff right there. Yeah, that's yep. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so the chat room is mentioning brackets. Have you tried brackets.io? I have not. I've heard about it. You know, yeah. it's funny. For I know it's another there, one. I know. 
it it seems like this is becoming a huge battleground. Like, oh, there's all these web-based editors, all these web-based tools now. Do you think it's because Sublime was, quote-unquote, charging so much that it kicked it off? So uh, Brackets is open source. It's also based on Node.js. Right. Uh, it has a Git code. Wow, check this out. Extract Brackets extensions lets you pull out design information from PSD files, including colors, fonts, gradients, yep. and measurement information. Oh, my gosh. And minimal CSS via contextual code hints. That's kind of cool, dude. If that, that works, that's epic. If I'm, that works, I'm, you know that's really cool. If that works. After the show, I'm going to download this. I don't want to offend the Skype gods and try to do a download while I'm on. But. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to go ahead and get a download because I think it's in the re, uh, the uh, the Arch repo. So I'll go, I'll go and pull it down when we talk. But uh, you know, it, to, to answer your question, though, I don't know if it's because Sublime Text was in quotes expensive. Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe it's because these toolkits now exist to do all this web development uh, stuff yes, yes, on, of course. Of on course. the desktop. Because one thing both these tools, um, this to my knowledge, really focus on is the web developer experience, right? For instance, you're not going to pop open Atom and start writing your you know, mono or your, uh, your QT application. In fact, they don't even make very good just markdown editors, really. And I, thought, I was right. surprised by Atom. You know, I, thought, I thought, boy, okay, this has a good chance of being a decent markdown editor. Not really. No. Oh, really? You're you're better off with just a just a straight up Markdown editor or Stack Edit on a on a Chrome is even better. Uh, brackets didn't build properly. And you know, it's funny you say that. You know, you know what? Speaking, you know what? Another editor that I use all the freaking time, uh, which I have it loaded up on the stream right now, it's Harupad. Uh, sure. Also based on Node.js. Yeah, there's a whole class of software. And I, it also feels a little off. You know, it does feel a little off. It doesn't quite, it definitely doesn't feel native to Linux, and it doesn't feel native to the Mac when I run on the Mac. Doesn't, I've never ran on Windows, but I, I sure it wouldn't feel native on Windows either. Yeah, so it's just a little, it's just a little off. I, mean, I, think, I think the problem, too, is once you start using one of these tools like Sublime, you get so invested into your packages and into mm-hmm. your key, your mm-hmm. key setup. Mm-hmm. That change is hard, right? And, and I'm sure there's guys in the chat room right now who have the same feeling about Vim or Emacs. Oh, sure, absolutely. Once you're in a tool, you're in a tool, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, But, you know, the the fact that this is developing so much, to me, indicates it's not true for everybody, really. Because there's right. got to be a lot of there's got to be a user base out there. So you and I doesn't doesn't mean we are in sync with everybody else on this one. Well, I think part of it is I don't do a ton of front end web development, right? So so some of the niceties I'm just looking at the brackets feature list in particular are not super applicable to me, right? Live preview things like that. Um, and the other thing is I'm looking at these features. All right, the pulling out of PSDs is really cool. Yeah, but y- y- there are packages for Sublime to do a lot of this stuff too. Yeah, or you know, for you, you could see keeping brackets around maybe just to do that one trick. Right, just like all right, I got the, right. Since it's free, you know, yeah. pop open the PSD. And then if it's like, going to give you text values anyways, you'll copy them out and put them in the editor you want. Yeah. <laughs> I feel awful. Like that feels like that feels like when you go into a store and like you scan the price with like the Amazon app and get the Amazon price. That's what that feels like to me. Well, it's interesting though because a lot of software is going this way, right? Slack's uh, Slack's Mac and uh, Windows applications are web based. I mean, the Mac one actually has a native wrapper, but it's just a web view, mm-hmm. right? A lot of software is going this way. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it, you know, it's, it, it has its advantages. It's very portable, that's for sure. And yeah. uh, so, I'm installing Brackets Bin right now. The chat room gave me a pro tip to get it installed, so I'm about to pull it up. So let's see what I think here. It's all, all it's, uh, what I'll, you know what I could do is I could put our um, I could put our show notes in there and just see what it does with it. So okay, so here's brackets. Oh boy. Hmm. It starts with a little uh, HTML up in this business. 
for me automatically, like like that's what I wanted or something. All right, so I'm going to go grab our uh, our show notes uh, mark down there. Okay, and I'm going to drop it into brackets. Okay, now if I save it, and I'll save it uh, as like a markdown file. Let's see if it once I do .md does it. Uh, yeah, there it goes. So there's my syntax highlight. Yeah. yeah, so it works. I, it looks nice. I'll have to play around with it. I think I have. I did try brackets. It also does not support high DPI. But uh, boy, look at this about screen with all the developers' pictures on there. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And I wonder now is that high DPI support? No, is that a Linux only problem or is that? Like oh, a- maybe. I I assumed. Well, see, I I think it's the toolkit that brings it. So if you're not using oh. GTK, you don't get it. You don't get it. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think. That could be wrong. All right, should we move on? I mean, the bottom line of, of my little look was Adam's certainly better at what it does than it was before. Yeah. Uh, if you're super into the GitHub ecosystem, go for it. But it's still not enough to get me to switch. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's maybe uh, worth checking in maybe in another year? Yeah, I, you know, and also, right, if you change jobs or something, you're going to work in a place that exclusively runs GitHub. I mean, obviously being tied into GitHub would help you in some yeah. indeterminate way. Yeah. All right, so uh, should we talk about the uh, elephant in the room? There is an elephant in the room. Is it Postgres? Well, I was just no, I was just <laughs> I get it. Uh, no, I was just going to say uh honestly, sometimes there's just terrible engineers out there. There's just terrible terrible engineers out there. I agree. I am one of them. I actually built a bridge this morning out of Legos that just <laughs> fell right over. Just, just gone. Yeah, my Lego engineer is not so hot either. Yeah. So, Chris, we talked we've been talking about this interviewing stuff forever, right? Mhm. And TechCrunch put out an article, I think it was late last week or early last week, like right after the show, about secretly terrible engineers kind of exploring how does this happen? You know, you hear these stories. Oh, this one guy at this other company who my friend's at and his cousin works there, uh, he just destroyed the whole company in a day. Yeah. Which is kind of like, huh? Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. How did he really do that? How did he really do that, right? And interesting, the the TechCrunch guy now, at first he... He starts off pretty hard. I'm thinking, okay, he's really going to like go for insane testing, insane interview questions, things like right, that. Right, right, right. Then he makes a great point at the end of, but if you look at other professions, like let's say accountants or you know other type of, quote, professionals, they don't have this, right? There are lots of bookkeepers who aren't certified accountants. Um, there are lots of people you know, working at the bank who have no certificates of any kind, no qualifications, and they don't get pub trivia style questions on how they do their job right right and people would consider money to be very important right how come they don't have this problem it's interesting and i think the TechCrunch guy makes a good point of saying we're overstating the problem it's really not that bad and that we just need more engineers but i think he doesn't go far enough in saying that the mythical bad engineer and of course there are bad engineers right but there's a difference between bad you fire him and bad he blew up your car it's kind of a scapegoat if you think about it right now think about especially the startup scenario right i've seen plenty of cases where startups have you know had one developer doing something a project maybe they didn't care so much about and i hate to say this but i've seen this happen to android guys a lot hmm where you know ios will be their primary focus and then the android guy will get destroyed because Oh, he foolishly agreed to a date for shipping, and you know that never happens. So 
you know, they fired him. And then when it came time to justify all the problems to the investors, well, you know, we just had a bad hire and, um, you know, everything right. should be smooth from here. Yeah. But that's not the case, right? right? You obviously have other problems. Maybe depending on your business, yep. you, you, your sales funnel isn't there or maybe you, you're not – Whatever your business is, maybe you didn't do any promotion for your app, which is super common. Very common. Um, I actually know a story of this uh, from a personally from a friend who worked with me on a project and got actually thrown off the project, got fired from the project. Went to another project that was exactly the same but with different managers and was their star employee. That must have been. That must have felt a little vindicating, you know. After that, after being uh, let go, yeah, I must have felt. Well, what it is is different environments. Uh, I, what do they say? Right? A fish stinks from the top. It's often the guy. At the oh, top. The, the fish rots from the head. Rots. Yeah, this idea that, especially great point in the article. You know, you have a guy who worked at Google for ten years. Yeah. And what do you do when you interview him? You give him fizzbuzz. Right. He should get up and leave. Like he should walk out of the room because it's. You would not hiring a lawyer ask them to tell you about you know what's a subpoena. Yeah. Right, a lawyer who's been working for 10 years. So you think what really what it comes down to is humans make mistakes and the, the problem isn't that uh, that, uh, that because that's just unavoidable. The problem is, is that we almost kind of refuse to expect it and we expect people to almost be perfect? I think the only difference between software development and any of these professions I've mentioned is that there's an element of creativity in it that makes it hard to give dates oh no kidding i mean especially if you're really gonna do your best right so you could be busting your ass working nights weekends everything and still miss the date through no real fault of your own yeah right? yeah oh totally you could i mean sure maybe a little bit of fault you could have underestimated the problem your employer could be a pain in the ass and <laughs> yeah. be super picky about you might have overestimated your ability to get that one thing to work that you thought you'd get to work no problem <laughs> how about the, just one more thing and then they send you a list of 10 things <laughs> yeah and you and they've somehow got you to commit to the time before sending you the list right it's just a quick it's just a quick thing that has 35 steps no i'm not saying that you know i'm not going to make the full agile manifesto of hey man it'll ship when it ships but there needs to be, like, for instance, you hire a lawyer. It's a simple trademark case, right? Should take, you know, a month. Something happens in the case where, where they, they bring a motion. Now, it might, the lawyer comes back and says, hey, hey, Chris, it's going to take another 30 days. Sorry. Everybody accepts that. Right. Developer says that to you. What are you talking about? I made all these commitments, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's and think just... about it. Construction, too. It happens all the time. Right. Projects get pushed back uh, 20 days, 30 days or more, you know. Yeah, and I think part of it is like everybody understands why the lawyer takes more time. I, I think it's really just a misconception of yeah. business people. You know, when the guy building the bridge says it's going to take another 30 days, you give him a hard time. He's like, well, that's fine. You want to drive over a bridge that isn't done? Yeah. Yeah, I've always, I've always felt like we struggled a, a knowledge gap because, uh, they, you know, it's so hard. People, when it comes to so – you're lucky in a way because when it comes to developing applications, at least you're developing something that you can, you can give a deliverable. When you're a sysadmin, your deliverable is things just work and there's nothing you can give them to say, look what I've done. Look, I, this right. is my value. And so uh, at least as a developer, you have that. But even with that, they truly do not understand what goes, what goes into making that a thing. And it just to them, I think it doesn't seem quite like – like I just because they can't conceptualize all of it, it doesn't seem quite valuable enough. Well, one thing I, I often notice, um, there's a big mismatch between things that 
you know, non-tech people really appreciate getting done and things that take a long time. Mm. For instance, nothing makes anyone happier than changing out some images. Mm-hmm. That takes 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. But do some sort of server synchronization or like data syncing from client to server, that might take a week. Yeah. And no one understands why that takes so long. And meanwhile, if you don't get the images swapped out while you're also working on that, that's a huge deal. That's a huge problem. You're you're better off going for the low-hanging fruit. Yep. Now, now, for anyone listening, I am not complaining about anyone in particular here. I'm just saying that – and this is less of a problem for consultants because when you're a consultant, you know, you get fired. Oh, well. I mean that's different. (laughs) But when you're interviewing for jobs, when when you're – I imagine when you're employed somewhere, it's – I, I, it's got to be a terrible feeling, right? Like, think mm. about this, Chris. If you were, you know, you have all this experience, you're going for a job interview, and someone's sitting there with a straight face asking you, like, hey, Chris, so tell me how I SSH into a Linux server. Yeah, you know, it's not the same thing, but I've told the story on the show before, but I declined um, a very generous offer from Microsoft because uh, I was so put off by their interview process. And I got to a point right before I decided to go into contracting, right before I... I was really at the right. fork and I was like, you know what? I either go all in corporate and I just I, get, I have a corporation take care of me and then I don't worry about it or I go work on my own. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to go all in, I should go, you know, I'll go talk to Microsoft. They have a Linux division and I'm known sure. for being involved in Linux. So I you probably know, have know, a shoe in. You know, Satya would probably like to speak to you. I'm just saying. He probably would. He probably would. This is well, way, way before his time. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the interview process was so awful that I realized that just that environment alone just that experience was not for me and i opted out i just no because i i had gotten to a point in my career where i had done it enough times where i recognized the warning signs of stuff that i would later live to hate live to hate like i could picture myself right. dreading that drive every single morning and i didn't want okay. that yeah yeah no i'm uh I, I you know i don't know if i could function in a large organization like that yeah now, if I loved what I was doing and I felt like I had a supportive team and, you know, management, that might be a different story. But that's, yeah. And, you know, what I like is uh, I like the idea. I bet places that are more successful are places where they acknowledge mistakes happen and they have other people to catch those mistakes. You know, decent to QA and uh, and a team structure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and we're getting a little far from the article because the article is uh, kind of criticizing crazy interview practices. Yeah, that's, but, yeah. Someone put it in the chat, and I'm, I'm sorry because the screen scrolled by too, faster than I saw it. Uh, it said culture, culture, cultural. My yes. point here is that I really don't think there are these ticking time bomb developers. I think there are, like any other art, right, Because it or trade if you prefer. Um, there are people who are more skilled, more experienced. You know, Obviously, someone, for instance, someone who was an Apple developer for 20 years longer than me should be better than me, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Now, it may not be true, but it should be true. <laughs> well, you know, there's differences. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you go into an interview process and you have to sit through some sort of like 20 questions game to make sure you're not. I don't even know. Like I've sat on the other side of the table and I've never really. The only lies I've ever really caught people in were right in the beginning of iOS when I was a consultant uh, and I occasionally had to interview people when I was leaving a gig. You know, they make you help them interview the yes. employee they want to bring on. Yeah. And it was pretty obvious that a lot of these Flash developers were lying. <laughs> yeah. Or a lot of these Java developers were pretending like they knew Objective-C, right? But even then, they probably, if they were good Java developers, they should have picked it up, right? The biggest thing at the time would have been memory management. 
So is is that like the outright fraud you're correcting for? Hmm. Yeah, because really, in most cases, like if I would come in, like uh, you know, I, if I came in and uh, to a client and it was a Unix system, it wasn't like a Linux sure. system. This me, I doesn't mean it. Uh, Linux does not directly translate to Linux Unix administration, but it meant I could go Google it and take my knowledge and put it together and get the job done. Right. A lot of times, that's what a competent developer does too, right? Well, like, I'm thinking about like so. I was thinking about all right, just, like sometimes I'm like just for shits and giggles. Let me go try to interview at a big company. I realize I probably can't pass the test because I'm so reliant on Dash and Stack Overflow <laughs> yeah. and like Google, you know, or, resources. Right. That I don't know what the API is. I don't know what order these parameters go in. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like Xcode auto completes, man. I I just know like how to begin the method and then it tells me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want yeah. to talk about the new MacBook at all later? Uh, it's gold, and I won't. No, I don't want one. It, I, I really don't care. Okay. If you want to talk about no, it. No, no, I don't really. I just uh, Draco was asking in the chat room. I, you know, it, it doesn't seem super functional for, for development work, given that it only has one port. Yeah, unless it's like you're just totally mobile development setup. I mean, I, I dig the weight and size. I like that, and the, and the screen and the new keyboard. But other than that, meh, yeah, no one port. You know what? If I'm I spend not. more than $1,000, I honestly need Ethernet. I don't mean to be a jerk, but I need Ethernet. Yeah, if I'm spending more than $1,000, like I, I'm pretty happy with like being able to work on my laptop most of the time. Now, that said, uh, yeah. if I had lots of money to burn, and like, so say I was like uh, uh, Marco Armand or something, and I just wanted a, a laptop for when I go to my second house or something on Ooh. the beach. Then I would probably get a MacBook Air. Or actually, it's just called MacBook now. It's not called MacBook Air. And that uh, USB-C connector has an interesting uh, like uh, wire that you can use that gives you the other stuff. So we'll see. Uh, you know what? I actually have a bunch of stuff we should talk about. Um, we also have the uh, – do you want to do the Microsoft uh, topic next? Yeah, let's just swing into that since we mentioned them. Okay. Um, now we'll, uh, we'll jump into the, uh, to the events of today. But first, real quick. Microsoft uh, has been making noise about actually being able to develop applications universally for Windows, the phone, and the Xbox. Yeah, and so I actually looked into this. You think it's real? You think it's legit? No, it's legit. Yeah. It, it, I mean, what do you mean by really? It's not a I lie. just have a hard time believing that Microsoft's going to allow Joe Developer to create apps for the Xbox. Oh, oh. Yeah, I have no idea how that works. Yeah. I think we're waiting on an announcement. Um, but they're getting really close, and that's really exciting. Yeah, I feel like it could happen, but I'm really going to be surprised when it does, if it does. So what's really interesting to me was I, I read kind of the uh, the things that they've been putting out in terms of how to technically do this. And my God, why haven't they bought Xamarin yet? Because it I is know. literally the Xamarin model. I like, know, I know. We're, we're going to have a shared code base and uh, you can have different layouts if you want, or we can use XAML to relay out your stuff. The only thing I can figure is that they feel like having an independent third party also doing it gets more people to use this, the platform. Yeah, but I feel like you get to crap your product yep. from that makes third party. It look, yep, it makes the whole thing look worse, doesn't it? Yeah, because, yep. you know, it's a really, really cool idea. The problem is, like, like I think XAML's a great idea. I think all of this is great. But the it is not, at least what Microsoft has announced, these are not platforms I particularly care about or think that I can realistically like, be able to make a living on mm. in, in any foreseeable future. Um, so, yeah. I mean, okay, you could say, well, the Windows PC is like 80% of the market, but nobody is using these modern apps, right? Everybody is using, uh, you know, w- frankly, everybody is using web apps written for IE6, so... Or Win32 software. Don't make me cry. Don't make me cry on air. You know I hate it when you make me cry. Go ahead, cry. 
Well, so uh, it sounds like – I don't know what you've read, but it sounds like they do have uh, select private developers. They've given Xbox universal SDKs to the, and yep. they're writing apps for the Xbox One right now. Okay, but first of all, how do you define an app? Is it like a utility app, a media app? You know what I would like to see is a Jupiter Broadcasting app, one that lets you just look at the feeds like you do on the Roku and uh, some of the other devices. That's what I would like to have. Yeah. Don't you don't you think that'd be lovely? Oh, I think it'd be great. Yeah, I, I think I think one of your many .NET developers in the audience should do it for you. Oh yeah, we'll see about that, huh? Yeah. Hmm. The question is. So I guess my whole problem with this is like it's an awesome idea technically. And if you want to know more about the specs, we can run through it. But basically, it's super simple. It is Xamarin, right? I mean, it's not Xamarin, but it's it's the same idea. You have your layouts. Yes. They, they relay out. Yes. Your core of your application is written in A language, which I think for most people is going to be C sharp. Beautiful. All of that makes sense to me. It sounds like a world of snowflakes and honey. <laughs> the problem is that it's not a platform that... I think people want in large enough numbers to invest my very, very limited time for like learning a platform. Right. Mm-hmm. That's um, what I agree with too. That's sort of the non-starter of it. I think now if they said, Oh, and we bought Xamarin. So this is, we're going to make this just, you know, we're going to wipe out Xamarin and make this what Xamarin should have been then awesome. But that is going to create a whole another host of problems because I think the point of this is to get you to develop because right, everybody's going to want to develop on, on Xbox. I think that's the hook here. And you will, by accident, have developed for Windows Phone and for Surface Tablet. Exactly. Like exactly. Clever. But, I, but if it's not a game, right? Because they're, they're very careful to say apps, not games. So how many independent developers are out there? And maybe I'm wrong. Microsoft, guys, if I am wrong, email in. But I, I really don't think there's that many of you sitting at your desk, chomping at the bit, just wishing you could write an app for the Xbox rather than a game. No, I think there's I plenty of you sitting there wishing you could write a game. I just as a content creator would love to see it. <clears throat> we'll see. But they haven't even like – I mean from a technical perspective, from a perspective of like quality of life for a developer, the Microsoft stack is freaking amazing. Why wouldn't Microsoft – see, they have such a great stack. It seems like they, if they went out to companies like HBO and they went out to all these people that could make just content apps, TMC, AMC, uh, Time Warner, whoever, whatever. I don't even know. I don't watch TV. ABC, NBC, CBS. They would make apps for the Xbox, just deliver their content directly to the Xbox, and the Xbox could become a huge successful entertainment platform with people making all kinds of crazy great apps for it. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to give either Apple or Sony or Microsoft. Somebody's going to cave in that has a huge ass market share of, of set top TVs, and somebody's going to allow apps. And whatever, whatever, whatever those son of a bitches does at first is going to get some of the best apps out there, and it's going oh, to yeah. fundamentally change TV. Because once you could make a television station an app and no longer a channel, man, cord cutters are going to jump on that stuff like crazy. Well, it, it, well today HBO now, right? Apple exclusive, yep, right? Sounds like a feature. I, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a pretty awesome Plex app for the Xbox One as soon as this is out. Right? Oh man, it could be so beautiful. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, if you again, if I don't want to harp on the .NET stuff because it frankly makes me sad. Uh, but I follow you know, your .NET. Yeah, if you're a .NET developer out there and you have, see the, the whole thing. I'll get off of it, but the whole problem with me with the strategy is. You have to care about either Windows Modern Apps or Windows Phone to really want to do this. Yeah. 
and I've lost enough money already. So I, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Too mean? Too too well. Isn't it a shame they couldn't have done done it right from the beginning? Well, like I, maybe they had to go through it to get here, but it seems like they, this could have just been the route they took all along. You know, I'm I'm half joking when I say I lost enough money on them already, but I really did, right? Like I bought the tools, I I bought the the devices, I did all that stuff, and they just went nowhere with the platform. So it it was, and they were kind of really, awkward about the way they handled it too. They were kind of. And they didn't really say much about what was going on with RT. It's still kind right, of like ambiguous. The, it's it, like you, you know, it, they had you. You know, if you were part of the developer program, you were kind of pitching it, but then you kind of weren't because nobody really wanted it. Um, you could do from a technical perspective all this really, really cool stuff in XAML and in in the WinRT APIs, but you could only do it on certain devices. And I'm talking right in the beginning, right? I'm talking Surface One days mm. here. So you like you could do, and I remember I had this exact uh, exact experience with a really awesome presentation, but then the prompt came up, yeah, but we would have to have the Surface, right? And I was like, oh, we have iPads. Yeah, um, well, we bought all these ASUS tablets on sale. It, uh, that, that's more like it, actually. Yeah, well, well, like, yeah, they get a they get a whole batch of Chinese tablets, and then they give them out to all the employees. <laughs> you have anything? You got to make it all work on that. <laughs> Come in, Mr. Dominic. Come in. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Your uh, Skype's breaking up, though. Why don't we let uh, Skype settle, and I'll do a quick do plug while your Skype settles out. Woot! Yeah, and then uh, then we're gonna get into the watch stuff, and I'll tell you how my Pebble experience has gone. So head over to DigitalOcean.com, the next sponsor of the Coda Radio program, and go get yourself your own server that you're gonna have up in the cloud with complete root access to it, even an HTML5 console, so you can watch it boot all the way up to the final completion. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own server. You're going to get started in less than 55 seconds. Talk about saving you some time. And the pricing plans, they're going to save you some money because they start at only $5 per month. And you're going to get a fully functional server with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. You put a lightweight, lightweight Linux OS on there and you are going to be amazed at what you can do with $5 a month. I I I love it. You know, my co-host on the Linux Action Show, Noah, just recently got his account up to 25 droplets, so he can have 25 droplets. He finds them incredibly useful. He spins them up for clients. He spins them up for his own infrastructure. I've got OwnCloud up there, BitTorrent, Sync. I've got all kinds of great things for our clips. We use FTP access up there. We bounce our Jitsi calls off of DigitalOcean. I mean, it really is our infrastructure. When we need a Linux rig, we go to DigitalOcean. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. It's the control panel, though. I really, really love the control panel. Mentally, I know that I'm not going to spend a bunch of time fiddling with really badly designed software. I'm, a, I'm, 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 a, I'm not a strong enough man. I do not have enough willpower. I cannot force myself to use really ugly software that's really poorly designed after a long time when I'm really busy. Like when, I'm, when I have plenty of time in my hands, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a good challenge. I'll get that taken care of. When I'm a busy mother, you better not get me up in there because I'm going to get upset. Not over at DigitalOcean. Their interface is slick. It's designed intuitively, and you can get everything you need to do done. But on top of that, you can leverage it even further with their straightforward API. Create your own in-house apps or take advantage of a bunch of amazing apps that are already built for you by the community. And when you use our awesome promo code of power, Coder Digital, apply that to your account. You'll get a $10 credit. You can try out the $5 rig two months for free. And I like the way they do that. You just apply it to your account, Coder Digital. You can try it out two months for free. Go over to DigitalOcean right now. Try out the one-click deployment of things like GitLab or Ruby on Rails or Docker or WordPress or Ghost. 
Go try out your own infrastructure. And don't worry if you don't know how to manage a server because they have the best tutorials on the web. When you go over to DigitalOcean, check out their community section. You'll be super impressed. They have a couple of different sections you can take a look at. Right here up front and center, they're going to have some of their new and uh, highlighted tutorials. Like here's uh, how to manage System D. Here's Apache versus Nginx. Tons and tons. Look at these. So many great tutorials. But let's go take a look at this. Look at all of these projects, all built around that DigitalOcean API that really take using DigitalOcean up to the next level. This is the pro-level stuff once you get set up for DigitalOcean. This is how you take your experience up to the next level. So go over to DigitalOcean. Use our promo code, CODERDIGITAL. Get that $10 promo. Try out that $5. It can go build yourself something awesome. You're going to be impressed just installing packages, my friend. It is unbelievably fast. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean. And a big thanks to the audience for using the promo code. Coder Digital. All right. So uh, today's watch day. And uh, this entire time leading up to this weekend, I've been asking myself, who the hell wants to spend a few hundred dollars on a smartphone a year every two? For me, it's a couple times a year. And uh, also then wants to spend three, four hundred dollars on a watch to tell them all of the same things that the smartphone they bought for three hundred to four hundred dollars tells them. And I really was trying to wrap my head around this. And the one that I found to be the most interesting so far, because I'm a bit of a lunatic and I bounce around between Android and iOS all the time, is the Pebble. Because the Pebble has the unique advantage of working with either platform. It's not dependent on, like, Android Wear is dependent on Android, and obviously Apple Watch is dependent on Apple or iOS. Uh, I think it would work maybe with the iPad. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so I was uh, very much uh, appreciatively sent uh, a, a Pebble Steel by an audience member, uh, Mr. Rob, out in the audience because it does have a little bit of a glitch. But other than that, it's pretty, it's in pretty good shape. And so over the weekend, I tried out the Pebble Steel with both an iPhone and an Android device. And obviously, up front and center, the integration with Android is superior. However, it's funny. So in I, uh, with the integration with the iPhone, everything just works but kind of minimal. Like I get notifications and I can dismiss them, but like all the location-based services, all the step tracking and health kit integration stuff, it all just works. On Android, I could do some really cool stuff like proximity-based locking. So if the watch is near my phone, Android doesn't require a pin code, but then when my watch goes away from my phone, it requires a pin code. And of course, Android Wear compatibility and more superior controls of app responses. Like when I get a telegram, I can actually execute commands or I can launch apps on my Android phone from the watch. But then simple things don't work, like location synchronization and step tracking synchronization just totally don't seem to be working for some reason. And Apple, or I'm sorry, Android Wear and the Pebble app seem to be constantly in conflict of who should be talking to the Pebble watch. So there's a few wiggly things there. But outside of that, I don't think I will ever not have a smartwatch now. I mean, I have fundamentally over the weekend gone from I'm not sure if I have used to this to this seems like a necessary with some wow. modifications accessory. Wow, that's that's that is quite the statement. Yeah, I'll tell you, and I think this is where the Apple Watch has a leg up, and because it, it takes more refinement with the Pebble and the Android Wear, the Apple Watch by I think default only notifies you on people that you've selected as VIPs, so you don't get every notification pushed to your wrist. Whereas with the Pebble and Android Wear, anything your phone tells you about, like somebody updating a Facebook post you get that push to your wrist. So if you can be kind of stressful, you know, if you get, if you're sensitive to over notification, like I am, uh, that's kind of sucks. But the nice yeah. thing is if you do set it up and filter who can push to it, which, which is easier to do on Android than it is under iOS, but it takes more work under Android. Um, 
then I like it because like I'm sitting here doing the show and if I get a notification from somebody I've approved, I can just glance down at my watch and see if it's really something I need to worry about during the show. It gives me kind of peace of mind because normally what would happen is off in the distance I would just hear my phone go, and I'd be like, uh-oh, is that Ange telling me that one of the kids just cut their ear off or is that somebody you know, asking me what the app pick was last week? And I would never know the difference. But now I can glance down at my watch and go, okay, that's Ange telling me somebody cut their ear off. It's nice. Um, there's other things that are that are that are nice, like being able to control the uh, playback of my podcast from my wrist is nice. I like that quite a bit too. I wish I could do voice dictation from the watch. The Pebble Steel doesn't do that, so I wish I could dictate to uh, you know the text messages. Um, I think some of the nicer, newer ones do that, and maybe the new Pebble does. Uh, so you asked, you asked in the notes, who's the audience for watch apps? Do you have a guess? Do you think it's no one? Hmm. For for the market for the apps, yeah, for the people who would maybe spend a buck ninety nine, you know, four bucks on a on a watch app. So, so I think we need to rewind a little bit, right? Because on on the Apple Watch, you can't actually buy a watch app yet, but you can buy yeah. apps on your on the phone that communicate with the watch. Yes, you can. Um, I I don't know. I think I think it might be kind of like the tablet market and the phone market, where in the beginning, more people pay for apps than don't. And then as it becomes more normal, as the novelty wears off, we your watch functionality kind of becomes an in-app purchase, right? Like GoPro or Go Watch in this app. Does that make sense? Like you, you can unlock the functionality? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what, what I think I'm – what I find myself willing to use it for is um, – I think I'm I think I'm getting more comfortable with the idea of shorter battery life on my phone because honestly, I don't want my phone to start doing less stuff. I'm okay with it like, you know what? Like I'm even getting a little more okay with some of the location tracking stuff because I'm using it for record keeping and things like that. Like Sure, sure. I, so what the watch does is the watch lets me leave the phone at the desk and keep it charging and remove and I move some of that functionality like the messaging functionality and the notification functionality. I move that to the watch and I leave the phone on the charger. And I only do this a couple times, but you know, it happened. It happened to be that Angela was out. Uh, I think it was like the other night. Yeah, it was a Saturday or Friday night. I can't remember. And uh, uh, she, I was upstairs with the kids, and I was putting them down to bed. And my phone was downstairs in my home office. And Angela sent me a message saying, "Hey, don't forget to give Belly X Y Z, our youngest." And I would have totally had missed that message if I didn't have my watch. And I looked down at my watch, like, "Oh, well, good. I'm just putting her down right now." And I managed to do it. And I was like, "Okay." There's another use for it here where like it, it – I first – what I expected at first is I thought the watch was going to make me more stressed out about here's another email. Here's another tweet. But because I've managed a little bit, now what it lets me do is it kind of lets me step away from my tether, my phone. And yeah, I'm still tethered but like it's refined who can get through to this. So it's like uh, – it's like, it's, like it's like being removed without being disconnected and I find that to be really freeing. So anything that helps me do that, anything that saves right. me time, like uh, when they, in, in the Apple demo today when they're showing it like, you know, integrating with uh, like uh, the TSA pre-check so you can get through TSA easier and stuff like that. I'm all about that. Right. So my – Hold on. Oh, I really hate that your Skype connection is, uh, is dropping up. Maybe I, should, maybe I should hang up on your face and call you right back. You want me to do that? Uh, can, yeah. Why don't you give me a call right back? Yeah. Okay. I'll hang up on you. And then, uh, and then hopefully, sometimes if we just do like the like a like a little Skype uh, romantic dance where we pretend like we're lovers, does that make sense? No. Uh, all right, now I have to find you, Mr. Dominic. Stand by, stand by, searching for Michael Dominic. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Chatroom, what do you think? You you weigh in. Uh, you saw you probably saw the uh, the demo today. Would you uh, buy? Would you spend over three hundred dollars on a watch? I think that's where the pricing's at. When we get him back, I'll ask him about that because I think it's the pricing that's just too damn high. Oh, thank you. Oh, hello. Thank you because I, I think hello. you were I think you were set to invisible or something, so I couldn't. Oh, call okay, you. great. So just don't send me the screen, and I think we'll be okay. Yeah. I think that's what's doing it. So what do you think? You think it's going to come down to price? You think it's functionality? Because here's my thought on it: the Pebble, the you know, the Pebble Steel starts around two hundred dollars. We're talking a whole different level of price for this kind of uh, for this kind of value. And for me, if right. I want this watch to be something that makes my life a little easier and saves me time, I'm willing to buy apps that do that, or things that track health, fitness too, like sleep tracking and things like that. I'd be willing to right. buy an app to do that. But I don't think I'm willing to spend $400 for something that's a companion to my phone. I don't think I'm willing. Well, first of all, $400 is the cheapest model with yeah. the worst. Band, but. Yeah. And the one that you and I both looked at, they thought, boy, if we're really going to buy one, we'd be happy with it. It'd be maybe $1,000 if it was an yeah, Apple I mean, watch. My, my like, minimal, I would actually wear this somewhere is $500, bucks, like, which is not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the features of the watch that you, you seem to like, like the notifications on important stuff, you know, I've gotten to a system where I don't check my email, but for like three times a day now. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah. Because I can't, I just can't, like, there's one, I don't know why this keeps happening, but there's, you know, every service that I use feels the need to email me yes. at least once a week. Yes. Please don't. Yes. Right. Like, I, I for instance, I love DigitalOcean. I love GitLab. But in DigitalOcean does it the best. They only email you when you do something, which is perfect, right? So if you do a Doku instance and it's your first one, they send you a Doku tutorial. Oh, that's nice. That's the right way to do it. Don't email me a weekly newsletter, which they don't, to be fair to Dio. But let's say, you know, I had to go into GitHub and turn off all my preferences because they start emailing me, hey, here are the repos of the month. Uh, hey, here's the activity you for know the what's, week. You know what's super annoying is Ange and I uh, were doing an episode of the Faux Show on dating stuff, on apps, on dating, and I installed Tinder, and now I get emails like, Tinder's going to pull your profile. Tinder's going to – and I'm like, do it. Please, pull my profile. For God's sake, stop emailing me about it. Just do it. Like right now when I'm looking uh, – thankfully, Google does a good job of categorizing some of this, but LinkedIn, Spotify, yep. YouTube, Facebook, all of these, Quora – Sending me emails all the time. Um, but my Stack Overflow has been a huge pain in the ass recently. Yep, yep, because, yep. you know, I told you uh, last week all those old questions. I don't care, right? <laughs> like, yep. I posted that answer two years ago. Yep. Yep. So my, my point is, I, you know, I'm wondering, it's like the, the stress factor of having being in yet another way constantly accessible is that going to outweigh the benefits? See, that's what I was extremely worried about. But like I said, uh, I you know because because I was able to see my issue is maybe it's because of parenting or you know I, I just and you know I got people working for me. I just I can never just leave my phone behind because I just there's too much on the line. Like really, I you know I could have an emergency call come in that I really need to be available for. But the watch, if I refine it correctly, allows me to say. I'm going to leave this it's almost like it's almost like how the you know what you know what it's almost like how the smartphone allows you to walk away from the desktop for a little bit longer than you used to be able to Absolutely yeah Now the watch allows me to walk away from the smartphone a little bit longer now I have to be physically you know within wireless range of it but uh I can walk away like I can go in the kitchen and not have to bring my phone with me Yeah and that's really nice for me Um that's but I don't I mean, know I if guess, it's 500 you know, to 1000 dollars nice well, that's the other thing. Like, I, I could definitely get on board with the health tracking stuff with the, uh, you know, because I've been, I, you know, like everybody else, right, I plan to start working out at some point. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Absolutely. 
but you know, since I since I know myself, I don't think that uh, that five hundred dollars is the right investment. Right. So I, you know, what I did is uh, after I decided to back the new Pebble Kickstarter, the one that's made a ton of money already. The new one. I decided. Oh, the, Peb- the Pebble Steel. Well, the new one. So the yeah, the new Steel or whatever they're calling it. However, it, whatever it is, yeah. So where the one where they're basically turning Kickstarter into a storefront just to sell watches directly. Uh, and they've made like, I don't know, like a ridiculous amount of unbelievable, I think God level monies. Um, I think it's like the all time now popular most, or the all time most successful Kickstarter project. I thought they'd have it on kickstarter.com, but they don't right now. Uh, so I decided to back that one because I think out of all of the, uh, out of all of them, out of all of the watches right now, it's got the best, like it's got, it's got, uh, the best battery life. It's got a good look to it. It's got, uh, the best cross platform compatibility. And most importantly, it's got the best price point. Um, I was trying to find, I think it was like $250 for a really nice, really well designed. Have you seen it? It's beautiful. Pebble steel Kickstarter. I'll go Google that. Yeah. Go take a look. And, uh, uh, it it looks it, it kind of looks like an Apple Watch to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if you. Of course, I stopped sending you a video. But uh, for those of you watching our at home version, that is not the Apple Watch I have on the screen. That is the uh, that is the new Pebble Time Steel right there, and it's gorgeous. Two hundred fifty bucks. So that's the route I think I'll go. And I'm gonna I'm hoping. I'm hoping that they're embracing uh, with their embracement of Android Wear and things like that that it's going to get even more compelling. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know, Mr. Dominic, where are you at? You uh, so the the event's over and you seem a little melancholy. Like you were, were you expecting uh, something else? The uh, you know, no, I wasn't really expecting much. I, I just think this is, to be honest, this was like more of a, a fashion product unveiling for me. I, yeah, I, yeah. I nothing in this was particularly interesting to me. This worries me a little bit. You know, it scares me a little bit because Apple is a company that can get pulled in certain directions and has a singular focus. And Johnny Ive is only one man. And, uh, you know, I look at that MacBook, that new MacBook with the single USB connector, not even a dedicated power connector. And if you look at the internals of that now new MacBook, it looks like a, an iPad. Like the motherboard is even the same size as an iPad. That Intel CPU pulls like five watts. The the future I I really I really just doubt the long term future of that platform. Of, of what platform? OS ten. Yeah, I mean, with the way the way Apple is so singularly focused on these crazy small tiny devices with no ports and and irreplaceable parts, and uh, it just I don't I do not see them in the long haul. I just can't see it. I don't. I like well, like when they like for example today when they showed their product shot of all of their products and it kind of looks like the cellular signal and they have they start with the watch and then they have the phone and then they have the tablets and then they have the MacBook and then they have the iMac you know what shot I'm talking about that picture yeah yeah yeah, yeah the little yep the one that doesn't have the MacBook or the one that doesn't have the Mac Pro in it at all like yeah, that's true there's no Mac Pro in that shot like they've just completely forgotten that they make a computer for professionals there's no Mac Mini in that shot either well what do you think there I mean I think what they're saying is. That those aren't those don't really fit fit the vision of Apple. Well, I just think those just are not the majority of their business, right? Oh, for sure, because it's not the majority of their focus. I don't know. I'm, I, the only reason I pointed out is, yeah, here it is. Here's that shot I'm talking about right here. 
The only reason I even pointed out is because I just, you know, I have production stuff that depends on it. You have development environment stuff that depends oh, on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, if, if they dropped OS ten, I'd be in lots of trouble. <laughs> I mean, that would be. And that new MacBook, to me, that what, that what that new MacBook to me looks like is it looks like it'd be the exact kind of machine you'd slide a new ARM processor into it in the future. That's why you oh. get all those legacy x86 ports, right? You get rid of the all those ports that are that are for the x86 platform. You you kill them off, and you get everybody using this singular connector because when you go to the ARM platform, that's exactly what it'll also be is a singular connector. Oh, if if you're right, um, that you know, I listened to a, to a I forgot the name of the show, but a great episode on how they did the last uh, processor transition. Oh boy! If they actually try that, if they try to go ARM on the Macs, that's that is not going to be super easy. Well, I wonder if they'll just go iOS on the Macs. Oh, I don't think so. I think that's. I don't know. Maybe they'll start getting people to write iPad Pro apps, and then they'll go from iPad Pro to uh, the MacBook. So this shot, this is I'm pulling up this picture on the stream because this shot struck me about the keynote. Out of all of the pictures they showed, this doesn't look like a picture from a computer company. That looks like a picture that should be in a magazine for a fashion yes. company. No, that that's fair. Um, and that really scares me a little bit because I, you know, like I look at where they're going with this stuff and I think there's an entire industry that could be about to kneecap. Multiple industries, really. I'm being selfish really? when I think of, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple of years down the road. I do. But look what they're building now. I mean, this isn't, this isn't. This, this, I don't know. These, these gold MacBooks with a single, I just, I don't, I don't know. About they're it. a little silly, but again, just like the gold iPads, right? They, they probably play a lot better in China, which, which frankly is probably the market they're more concerned mm-hmm. with now. Mm-hmm. And look at the, look at the internals of the MacBook Air. It's all battery. Oh, I'm sorry, the new MacBook. Yeah. It's, all, it's battery. all battery. It's literally the size of the iPad Mobo, basically. Uh, and I think eventually <clears throat> it just goes away. If that happens, what OS will I run? <laughs> um, I happen to know a good one you could try. Is it, is it elementary OS? Because I hear they want money. And it has a really good desktop environment that uh, works well. Right now I'm trying to paper theme, but you could go with other themes. And uh, I think you'd enjoy it quite a bit. And it turns what out they don't get tugged around by fashion as much. Oh, I've, I've seen Linux. They definitely don't care about fashion. <laughs> Ouch. I oh. walked right into that, didn't I? <laughs> kind of. Kind of did. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, uh, as we wrap up today, is there anything else you want to talk about, sir? No, I think I'm all right there, actually. All right. Well, I will let you know when I get my Pebble Steel. Yeah. So I did. I pledged two sixty five. I got. Uh, I got a steal. So when it comes in, I'm pretty excited though. I after having played with this watch, I was like, this is. There is something worth addressing here. I think. Um, I'm not as. I'm not as uh, down on it as I was. I'm just now down on the, on the implementation and the price. But I'm willing to also say that you know having used this, I look at that Apple Watch, and in some ways this that uh, this looks like how I the uh, MP3 players looked before the iPod. Um, right. I recognize that this is not as flashy as the Apple Watch, and I might see an Apple Watch and change my opinion and maybe say I do need to have one. I like the Pebble lets me move around a little more, though. So that's my final thoughts on it, but uh, thanks for letting me talk about it a little bit, Mr. Dominic. No problem. And if you ever, write, if you ever make an app, you let me know. I'll pick it up. I'll, I'll beta well, test it for you. Step zero is affording the watch. <laughs> well, the Pebble so is, the pebble is more – pebble. Yeah, it, it's probably going to be a Pebble watch. You know, uh, uh, you know, our favorite uh, podcast player, Overcast, I believe, is going to have watch controls. I actually do like Overcast. Yeah, but, I like it quite yeah. a bit. And having, you know, so I've been using Pocket Casts on my Nexus Six or Five, 
I wish, on my Nexus 5. And I can also kind of control the playbacks, but a dedicated app that's aware of what the podcast is and gets like cover art and stuff is going to be really cool. So as some apps come out, I might change my tune on the Apple Watch. I, uh, But right now, I'm going to say pass. I'm going to say pass. We will, have, we will have to see. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people throughout the week? Uh, just the recently reclaimed DominicM.com. Nice. Powerful. Hey, don't forget the Coda Radio Show is live on Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over JBLive.tv. And we'd love to get your feedback over to JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact or engage in our subreddit. Make the show even better, submit topics for discussion, or chat with the community. CoderRadio.reddit.com. GPotter is a great app. I agree. Great for Linux. I download uh, a copy of our MP3s that way. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for doing this week's episode of Coder Radio. See you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.